0: start to put tension on my string drawback, I was like, okay, yeah. it. It's him, you can look at the boys when he's dead, I'm, I'm in, you know, in his
1: own. Let the arrow go is perfect. Uh,
2: you when know, they lose their front shoulders, yeah, you start, yeah, that's how you know. Went about five, ten more yards,
3: he probably went 20 yards, he was little tip, then we tried to get back up, I saw him follow, we rushed forward
1: night we got like front like that and then the next day we came up 153
3: even you're listening to the white cat outdoors podcast bringing you to the table where we talk about the outdoors
0: hello hello what's going on everybody this is episode 130 of the white cat outdoors podcast me nick and tom are chilling in the studio tonight what's going on everybody glad to be here and uh talked to dad last week about alaska that was a great episode had a lot of fun and uh we have been talking a lot about like getting getting ready for the whitetail season so we have another guy on tonight who's big whitetail guy he's uh really successful around the northwest pa area where we're from uh he does a lot of -of out-of-state hunting a lot of public land hunting so he's uh Big whitetail guy, very, very successful whitetail guy, a lot of knowledge, so uh, we're all real excited to talk to him.
3: Yeah, Uh, his name's Mike Perry, and uh, he's uh, probably the highest caliber whitetail hunter we've brought on the podcast, so this is a pretty special episode, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, He films for Whitetail Addictions, he's been featured on uh, Whitetail Cribs with Exodus Trail Cameras, he's been on numerous podcasts. And I was really excited to get him on ours. And he just so happens to be a very local guy to us. Mm -hmm. Um, He hunts the same terrain and same style.
0: Yeah, it'll be really interesting to pick his brain on how he attacks public land. Because a lot of what we talk about on here is how we set up our personal properties for bedding or food or whatever. So it's going to be a lot of fun to learn from him about how he goes about these new pieces that he goes on or if it's an old piece you know it's mostly public so it'll it's just gonna be a lot of fun to talk to him and figure out how he goes about it
3: for sure so i guess let's not waste any more time let's uh let's bring him in shall we
0: all right so mike nice to have you on we're really happy to have you um if you want to just kind of give us a little rundown you know what do you do for a living what where did you get started with whitetail hunting all that stuff just kind of keep it simple at first Are you on social medias where can people find you if they want to you know see what you're up to
1: okay um all right thanks for that i'm glad to be here um, my name is mike perry i work at the erie times news i'm a supervisor for uh, transportation distribution and uh, i got into hunting and started in 1977 when i was 12. my grandparents owned a farm out in crawford county And uh, I used to go out there and hunt with my grandpa, so he got me into it, small game and stuff like that. Didn't start bow hunting serious until about uh, 86, 1986. Okay. So I've been at it ever since then pretty hard. Got
0: addicted pretty quick.
1: Pretty quick, yeah. The first year I shot uh, eight point with my bow and went and bought an Ohio license the next day. (laughs) And uh, ended up having a big one come in, like the first sit in Ohio. Yeah, hunting out of an old, worn, sweet uh, climbing stand so yeah i've been at it ever since then just addicted to it
0: nice and you said you like kind of got started in archery right around that time were you deer hunting before that and then evolved into archery or did you just kind of start with archery
1: yeah like when i was a kid um my grandpa would bow hunt on their farm and i would squirrel hunt so i would walk around and i'd stalk squirrels and i think that that you know has got me on my way to you know learning a lot about whitetails because i would stalk around on squirrels, try to get up on them close, and my grandpa would be hunting. Of course, every time I shot at a squirrel, my grandfather said there was a buck standing under a and it ran away. So it was of my course. fault. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so but I didn't start hunting deer until I was 16. Though it would have been about 81 uh, my parents just didn't want me going out in the woods because you know the, the largest armed militia in, 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 the, in the you know free world you know is is uh, first day of gun season. Yeah. 19, back in the '80s, it was it was a lot bigger. You know, mm-hmm. there was way more people around. So I started then. I shot my first deer with a gun. Uh, I think my it would have been my second year gun hunting. And so I always gun hunted up until like '86, and I started bow hunting. I got a compound, and started bow hunting. So, right on.
3: So when you said you like it was in like the 80s when you got serious, what, what was like the tipping point for going from like just like your average bow hunting and everything to getting like addicted to it and diving like full force into it?
1: Well, uh, one day I was bored at work and I, ha- I had it was my girlfriend's brother at the time, Ken Flack was his name, and uh, <laughs> he went and uh, picked up a North American whitetail for me. The read oh, at you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So I was reading that, and I was seeing these pictures of these bucks in here, and I thought, wow, that would be really cool, you know. So I, I had the bow, you know, and I, I wanted to get into it. I had my first stand I ever had, I built into a tree, you know, with wood. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I just found some deer trails that came together, and it, was, you know, just by mistake, I guess there was a couple rubs around, and this buck come walking in behind me. And when I went to draw my bow back, I mean, like, I just fell apart. Like, I couldn't, <laughs> my arrow came off the rest, and, and I was shaking like a leaf and never did get a shot at the buck, but I knew right then and there that I wanted to feel that feeling again, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what kind of started it. And then I was just lucky and fortunate enough that the next year, which would have been eight, that would have 86. And then in 87, um, I shot a buck on the first day over here in McCain, first day of archery season, an eight point. And it was a small eight point. I mean, back then, there an eight an, point no might have been 10 inches. So. What,
3: what's that? There was no antler restrictions at the time, though, right?
1: No, there wasn't any antler restrictions at the time. So that so. was
3: a pretty good deer for the time.
1: Exactly. I was really happy with it, and, uh, but I didn't want to stop hunting. So I knew from reading this North American Whitetail magazine that, you know, you're allowed to hunt under states because I never even thought about it until then. I had no idea that you could Mm -hmm. do that. I was like, wow, I can go get another. So I went and bought an Ohio license. Back then it was $40 for an Ohio non-resident with your tags. Got up a little
0: since then. (laughs) Yeah, I went up
1: just a little bit. Yeah. So I, I went and I drove around and the first road I come down, there's a farmer standing outside. And I stopped and I said, hey, would you mind if I hunt? I live over in Pennsylvania. And he's like, no, go ahead. And I went back there, and I found a big scrape on the edge of the field. And the only reason why I knew what a scrape was was because I read about it in the magazine, you know. <laughs> so uh, I, I I had no idea but what it was. Was it was a trail that paralleled the field, which was a, is a really good, you know. There's usually fields have trails that will parallel 40, 50 yards. And we're, you know, D will, 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 you know, be able to set check whatever come out of that field that Bucks will consent check what's coming out of that field. So I didn't know it at the time, but it was a great spot. It was an inside corner and it was right where this trail had come down and there was this great big scrape that was just torn to pieces. And I climbed up it in my worn suite and I'm sitting there and uh, it had a uh, cold front had, had rolled in. It was like uh, it was either Halloween day or November 1st. I remember that. And a cold front ran, flew in. And, and you know, was, again, now that I know. I know what a great situation I was in at the time, but at the time I had no idea. What purely was
0: on accident, it was at all the an time. accident. Yeah,
1: so I, I'm sitting there, and just as the rain had stopped, and you could see the sky clear into the west, and it's getting cooler. I hear this, and I was like, "What in the heck is that?" I never heard that in my life, you know. And I turn and I look over to the right, and here's a 130-inch A point walking straight at me, coming to that scrape. And he walks into the scrape and looks right up at me, and I didn't know you know, what to do. I just thought I could just shoot him. And I drew back and <laughs> I shot and just nicked him. And he took a couple steps and just stood there and looked at me. And I was just like, wow, welcome to Ohio. You know, <laughs> my first day hunting there, you know, and I ended up killing that buck the next year after I figured him out more. But uh, that year couldn't get him getting near me you know, after that you know, mishap. But,
0: He's but that's what started me. That. Yeah, I really,
1: I really went after that deer hardcore. He taught me a lot. Um, I talked about this before on a podcast, but um that the next year that was when I first realized that when you find a bed with a rub in it that it's probably a buck bed because I just so happened to be scouting and where I had been parking my truck it was real thick along the road for like 50 yards I mean thick you could barely walk through it and the one day I, I walked down through there and I find this matted down area and, and I'm like that looks like a I think a deer's bed in there and there's a rub and there's shavings laying right there and I'm like it's gotta be a buck. And I'm like, man, he's, he's betting right where I'm parking. This buck knows that I'm hunting him, mm-hmm. you know? that was the same buck that I had hit the year before. So I decided to go down to the, um, I parked like a half a mile down the road and I put a stand up on a trail that paralleled the road that had scrapes on it. And I went in there, it was like mid November. And I, and I, and I actually can that buck in and I didn't, this time I, I didn't have a perfect shot. So, this time though, I didn't take it, you know, which was good. Yeah. And I just kept scouting for that deer. One day um, I was scouting and uh, we had this uh, goldenrod field there. And I was walking through the goldenrod field and it was raining and this deer stands up in front of me. He must have heard me. He knew I was there or whatever, but it was that buck. He wasn't that far off the road. You know, I wasn't that far into the field actually. He was kind of maybe 150 yards off the road. He stood up out of his bed. And when he stood up, I was behind him. So I, I sank down into the goldenrod, and I sat there, and I watched him. And he would just sit there, and he was looking down the road. He was looking all around at first, and then you could hear a car coming down the road. It was a gravel road. Mm-hmm. And you could hear the rocks popping, you know, but he couldn't see the, the vehicle yet. When the vehicle got closer, he sunk down in his bed, and he laid there. And then you couldn't see him anymore. And and, and I'm sitting here you know, the whole time just watching him. I ain't far from him at all, maybe 30 yards or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then as soon as that—and this is towards evening—as soon as that— car kept going down the road he stood back up and then he just started walking off feeding off you know through the golden run and ended up going into the woods hmm. and i'm like man okay this deer is not stupid he's you know he knows when a vehicle's coming down the road to get out of sight mm-hmm. you know he's bedding somewhere near where i'm um parking and and watching what's going on you know mm-hmm. so um i ended up shooting that buck deer in gun season that year just just by chance you know mm-hmm. but uh yeah, it was it was a that was the uh, eye-opening experience and that's what you know basically got me on the path of just trying to go full tilt on him, mm-hmm. you know.
0: It's amazing when you see stuff like that, like how often does that scenario play out where you're going in to get after a deer and he's right there 30 yards from you but he just dips right out of sight and lets you go on by. Yeah. You know, how often does that happen that you don't catch it like you, you know did You don't know about it
1: exactly. I'm sure many times. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: It makes me like totally reconsider like we have the farm we hunt um there's like a it's on a dirt road gravel driveway up to the barn and it's like goldenrods before you get to the woods and now i'm wondering like if there's something bedded like really close to the barn hear us pull up and they're just dipping out before you even get out of your truck
1: it very well could be i know that like in farm country you see a lot of deer bedding with a you know a sight advantage you know a sight advantage the or, like, yeah they they, they they watch the access especially when they know they're being hunted you know, a lot of times if it's, it's, it's thick enough, you know, where where they could, you know, um, have some cover and be able to watch your approach, you know, a lot of guys, when they're hunting evenings, they just walk right through a field and go set up and then they wonder why they're not seeing the buck that they're after. And a lot of times it's because that buck, I think, you know, more than a lot of times it's because that buck is bedding there, you know, that's like a wind specific type bed where, you know, he's bedding there on a certain wind, so he's watching, you know what, he, uh, out in front of him, and then he can smell back behind him. Mm-hmm. So,
3: a buck, i guess—in your experience, when a buck knows he's being hunted, um, and is it more important to him to have the wind in his favor or seeing that access? Because I mean, he couldn't couldn't always set up with both of them in his favor, could he?
1: um could could he set up with the wind advantage and a sight advantage definitely well
3: yeah i'm saying but not every wind allows that i guess just getting at is what's what do you feel is more important to him or what you've seen
1: i don't know what's more important to him but i i don't think that they're always setting up with a wind advantage i think that they set up with a sight advantage a lot of the times if you're hunting in thick cover i hunt a lot of swamps and stuff and in swamps it's real thick and they bet anywhere they bet anywhere they want anywhere they please and they bed those aren't winded those aren't wind specific beds those are they're bedding there with their listening they're listening and they they're, they definitely can smell but they're using their ears like in that situation more now if you're hunting somewhere where there's a lot of people walking through all the time um, say there's uh, you're hunting down in Allegheny Forest or you're hunting uh, I I don't know I'm not going to say the name of the place but I walk up, I hunt a place <laughs> where where a lot of people walk through like say hikers and stuff like that now mm. in a place like that those deer are watching they're watching trails that people walk down they, they they're, they're close to the trails they're hidden that they can't see but they're watching you know so it just it's, it's all situational it just depends on what they are but i don't know that any deer really um beds just for uh, a wind advantage okay because they're using their ears if you're hunting in a cattail swamp for instance okay they're going to bed somewhere where they can. they're using their hearing more than anything you know, because they can't see very far, you know, like, just like you, when you walk in or you can't see, they can't see, so they're not got a sight advantage right there, and it's re- really not a wind, I mean, they have a wind advantage of whatever direction the wind's coming from, but more than anything, they're using or hearing then, so it just, it just depends on the, where they're at, the situation, where, what time, of a- area they're bed, they're living in, or, you know, or bedding in, if it's farm country, and people are, act, you know, trying to access through fields to get to them, and they know that, then they'll, I feel like they're going to bed, you know, in a little clump or somewhere in a low spot where they can see out into the field, okay, with the wind coming over their back and watching towards the field, okay, something like that. Mm. Or if it's real thick, you know, they're going to just bed right in the middle of that thicket somewhere because, you know, they're going to hear anything that's coming to them and they can smell whatever, you you know, upwind of them or whatever, so
3: so with the cattail swamps you said you do a lot of hunting in and you're saying like that their hearing is what they're relying on a lot of yeah because of the
1: water and all that you know what it takes to get into a cattail swamp it's noisy getting in there that's
3: that's i guess where i was going with that is how do you go about accessing a cattail swamp to not tip them
1: off i guess well the one you know most of the places i hunt aren't vast cattail swamps but i hunt a lot of swamps and beaver dams that have cattails in them or on Mm. the edges of them Um, and a situation like that i'm thinking of one public place that i hunt um it's a point that comes down into the cattails and a lot of times there's going to be sign on that point and they're going to come up those that that point you know when they come out of their bed now if 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 they're bedding in some say sh- shrubs or whatever some little trees that are you know way out in there and there's nothing you can get into then you're not gonna you have to hunt on, on the ground that would be about the only way and i really don't do that you know mm-hmm. i like to be in a tree i don't you know i just don't feel comfortable hunting on the ground i know it can be done but so um i would i would be looking for a certain point or something you know that would that i could get on where okay. they're going to come up a trailer going to come up look for the sign coming up out of there a lot of times there'll be scrapes right on that transition right there you know so that's what i'd be looking for because most of the places i hunt i specifically look for certain types of places because i i hunt what i feel comfortable hunting you know like i hunt what has worked for me in the past so i hunt a lot of places with creek systems swamps beaver dams and then i know how i can hunt those types of places so those are the places i look for when i go out and i drive around in say ohio or back when i used to hunt in new york all the time i would drive around and look for that type of terrain and that's what i would hunt i don't just randomly go hunt places because i hunt places that i know that work the way my style of hunting what i'm going to do that's what i look for so
3: that's a really good approach that i haven't heard anybody use to find peace. like it's always about like topographical maps and different things like that looking
0: for or, agriculture or whatever just yeah, a lot never, of people just lurk look, look for what they think a deer wants not mm-hmm. what fits their hunting style or yeah
3: they hear somebody else on the internet that says you know that big bucks only live in swamps so that's all they do is hunt swamps or oh they're all in farm country mm-hmm. so you go after that like i've never heard somebody that just targets what they're comfortable hunting and then just lo- or centralize all your attention to that which yeah. makes a lot of sense i can't believe that i've not heard that before or done that myself
1: <laughs> gotta start no, no, no yeah. time like the present
3: yeah we do I mean for I would say 85% of my hunting is farmland just because the way we grew up mm-hmm. you know with my grandpa's farm and that's just how we've hunted so I, I've never really hunted a swamp at all um, but I mean it's intrigued me but I just have never gotten into it because we just always had the farms to hunt and
1: yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't have to be a swamp oh, that, no, I'm it, not to, saying to that. kill a I'm big just... buck or whatever. I mean, I'm just saying that's the type I like to hunt yeah, because yeah, it's yeah, what yeah, works out that. for me. I like using water to my advantage, you know, as like a barrier, you know. And, and the nice thing about water access is, uh, I'm not saying accessing down the creek all the time or whatever. I'm, I mean, like using waders or whatever. Most people don't want to f- fiddle around with water. They don't want to cross creeks. They don't want to wear waders. Guys don't, you know, I'm not saying everyone, because there's a lot of, you know, gung-ho hunters nowadays, you know, they listen to all the podcasts and this and that. <laughs> but, um, you know, most people don't want to go the extra, you know, step, to, the extra mm. mile, to do, go through the extra aggravation to get to where they need to be. Then you're hunting public land, especially Pennsylvania, you know, it gets hunted really hard. You can go around some squares And find all kinds of vehicles parked. but if you got water going through there and it's deep enough that you'd have to wear waders or have to use a canoe or you'd have to walk way out of your way a mile to get to it you're going to be back there by yourself most of the time you're going to get a couple diehards you know that 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 will be in there but for the most part that's where you're you know you're going to be by yourself so that's why i like using the water because it keeps most of the guys between the water and the road you know Mm -hmm. makes
3: sense but
2: uh we were talking about betting earlier um, there was one quick question uh, you hear a lot of people talking about doe betting versus buck betting i don't I, I can't tell the difference i don't know what is the big difference between buck and doe betting um Truthfully, I think it's all the
1: same, Buck bed, Bucks oh. and Doe's bed together a lot of time, or in the same area, I wouldn't say, not always together, but I have seen it, I mean, I, I run a lot of trail cameras and I've had, um, you know, many times over, especially in the last few years that I've really started noticing, you'll have Bucks and Doe's bed in the exact same bed one day to the next. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, the, the, how you can tell the difference between buck and doe when you find the beds, like if you're scouting, usually does are going to be in a group, you know, there's going to be a couple beds and you look at the size of the beds. I mean, back when I was young in the eighties and I first started reading about, you know, buck beds and this and that, you know, um, I would carry around like a, um, a tape, a soft tape, and I would tape the, the, the beds, see how, how wide they were from where the elbow went. To the back of the rump and if you got into that 46 48 50 something inch you know that's usually was going to be a buck you know hmm. what i mean and the does are going to be smaller and that maybe 38 42 and then you know fawns are going to be tiny whatever i mean mm-hmm. that's what i want i mean i don't do that anymore but when i was a kid and i was learning i used to do that and uh it, it seems like you will find buck beds in the same places that does are going to bed and you know um I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that younger bucks won't won't bed in the exact same beds as, as older bucks do because I, or mature bucks do. Because I've seen that too, and I've got camera pictures to prove it. Where I've had multiple mature bucks bed in the exact same bed, and I've had young bucks bed in the same bed. Now, if the big buck comes in there and a the young buck's in there, he's gonna have to get up out of that bed and move. You mm, know, absolutely, yeah. But that's you know, if if you're looking for a specific place where a doe would be bedded over where a buck would be bedded, I, I don't know that they look different.
0: Okay.
2: That's that's what I thought in in my personal experience. That's what I believe. But well, you hear so many people saying, "Oh, Buck, this is buck bedding. This is doe bedding." And I I didn't know if there was or was not.
1: Maybe in other areas of the country there is. I mean, when you look at the Midwest and a lot of these podcasts come out of the Midwest, mm-hmm. a lot of the well known hunters come out of the Midwest, and out there there's way less. Um, you know, good uh, what do you call cover? You know what I mean? Like there's less thickets, there's less woods, there's less, you know, yeah. so there's more ag and there's more open land. And, and, uh, you know, uh, my opinion being a Pennsylvania guy, I mean, I think that it'd be easier to hunt with less, you know, cover because mm-hmm. where I, where I hunt and all the places, because I put myself in those situations, there, there's bedding sometimes for a hundred acres, every direction, Yeah. you yeah. know, there's bedding everywhere you know so you that's why i use terrain features i use um um you know low low points i like to hunt low spots you know we're say um hunting a creek system and a creek runs through you know what an oxbow when the creek is yeah where it comes okay almost, almost like, when, almost when, like when, well, a mini peninsula yeah so an oxbow comes through and over time like a meandering creek which we have a lot around here meandering creeks have a lot of you know switchbacks in them or crossbows mm. and stuff, and then at, over time the water from flooding overflows, overflows, and then it cuts a new path for the creek. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then those old low spots are sit, still sitting there, and if you get a lot of flooding, those will fill up with water It'll be like dead water. Mm-hmm. But if they're not, if they're dry, they're hot spots because mm. the bucks, the does, everything, every deer. Runs, runs down through the middle of them. They're, they have real good vegetation in them. It's probably more lush you know, to, to deer. I think they can tell the difference in the minerals. Like sometimes they like a certain oak over another oak tree. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they like a certain clover or alfalfa field over another one. It might be the way, you know, the the, the, the mineral content of the of, of the plan or whatever. But uh, so I think that they like those areas because if you look at the soil in something like that, it's that real, you know, like sandy, like black, you mm-hmm. know, earth that you like. Yeah. You want to have in your garden type stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So they run those. They put scrapes down through them, and they're staying low. They can move through the property, you know, uh, you know, un, unseen. Um, I like to uh, hunt, you know curves uh, bends and creeks right on the points of them on the opposite side of the water you know because uh that concentrates trails together so the deer will come down tr- you know there'll be, tr- there'll be a bunch of trails coming through the, down a creek system and they'll all usually converge on, on those points you mm-hmm. know so that's another good place and you can access those pl- place you can access those because on the outside of a creek where the water you know on the down a uh, downstream side of of a bend in a creek, there's usually a gravel bar. Because yeah. the water yeah, comes off that bank and and and, 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 and 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 deposits everything there. So you can usually cross it somewhere like that. So if you can find that situation and you cross that water and it's only, you know, it's not real deep. Now, most guys are hunting there and they're just like, "Wow, well, this water's too deep. I can't get across it. But if you know where you can cross it, you cross right there and then you hunt right right where you cross, right on the edge of it. That way you can use thermals to your advantage, you and know, for the, right water. the water. And the deer are going to come. So you're, you you haven't left any humans. Scent. There's no ground scent. There's no uh, disturbance of the soil or anything like that. So it's it's a great setup, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can even hunt it with the wind blowing almost right down to the buck, but you have an off wind and your wind's just getting enough into that water. So he's walking, he could be walking with a nose wind and, you, you know, he's coming right—he he, he can't smell you. like, bulletproof in a spot like so that. So
3: you're not—just to clarify, you're not talking walking the stream the whole way, but you're Mm-mm. saying as soon as you cross over at that—where the rocks are set up— there.
1: Somewhere on that bend, like stay right along the edge of that and get up, you know, depending on which way the wind is, you know, and I mean, you could get an outcome, we could talk for three days about this, but you can, <laughs> you know, you use your trail camera pictures to find out which way you think the deer is coming from, you know, and then you use that to your advantage, okay, because, you know, especially i hunt a lot of deer that I've known for two, three years, you know what I mean, so I know which winds they walk on, I know which winds that or which directions they like to walk because a lot of bucks they like only i get i have certain bucks that i've been getting pictures of for three years they only walk north south trails you know i never get pictures of them going east or west you know i mean it's, and not, not saying every deer but i'm just saying they're individuals mm. certain deer do certain things so you just put all that together and then that's how you you know set up accordingly to so you know what you want to do so
3: so you've mentioned cameras a couple of times <clears throat> how are you using your cameras like About, I know you said before we hit record that you were setting up cameras today, Mm -hmm. but uh, about when, like, is this the first time you pulled cameras? But I guess what I was getting at, uh, or put out cameras, when do you start putting cameras out and how are you using them at this time of year to set up for, you know, October?
1: Well, I used to leave my cameras out all year long. And I did that because I feel like if you can find some sort of pattern in a particular buck that if he'll use it in the summertime as far as which ways he, like, winds he wants to walk on stuff like that, that he'll use that when it's season. Now, particularly, he might not be in that same exact spot anymore, you know, because everything shifts. The food changes, you know, the weather changes, you know, they, they, they disperse, they move and this and that. But um, if you can find some sort of, um, you know, uh, pattern, um, if you find some, some sort of pattern, then, you know, you might be able to use that, but I kind of quit. It's just so much damn, I, I I'm running a lot of cameras. It's a lot to keep up with, you know, I write, I like to write down physically, because I'm old school, so I didn't grow up in the computer era. And so I like to like, I mean, I, keep, I have figured out how to make files and all that stuff, but, <laughs> but I like to write down my particular books. I'll give them a name and then I'll, I'll have pages of every photo, you know, I got my daylight photos, you know, I got my I got my um, rut photos, you know, gun season, when they move certain times of the year, you know, summer, this, that. Okay, so that's what I'm using that for. But you you were asking me about you know I, I, I go down a lot of rabbit holes. So oh, okay. we could be here till like midnight. But um, t- today I put up that was the first cameras I've put up this season. Okay. Normally I like to get them out you know in June. You know I don't want to get them out any later than the beginning of July. Um, but uh, this time of the year, what I do is uh, especially like um, the farm country that I'm hunting in Ohio. I'm just I went around today. 12 fence posts, 12 trail cameras, and a 10-pound sledge, you know, and just bam, 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 you know. I put them in. I I put them out on bean fields, and I I try to find, you know, the trails in the dirt because you're looking for tracks coming out into the beans. And I try to cover the fields pretty good, you know, get three or four cameras you know um and i'm you know it's, sometimes I'm, I'm running them right down like say a fence row so i can catch the deer that are walking down the fence row looking for trails that are coming out of them just using them for inventory this time of the year you know yeah if, if i was putting i i really don't i used to and i've gotten away from it and i think that it's a good thing this i just don't put cameras out in the woods anymore you know in the summertime because i just it's i just feel like it's just too much intrusion. It's I don't need I don't to need to do it. it. I mean, a lot of the deer I'm hunting don't actually live in the places that I'm hunting them. They only come in certain times of the year and you find that out from data over years, you know, of trail camera pictures, certain bucks come into your property at certain times of the year. So you're not really hurting them by having but but I don't want to I don't even want to bother the doze, you know, if I if I don't have to. So I just don't bother putting the cameras out anymore in out in the woods. I'll have a couple on funnels and I'll just leave them there all summer long and I'll check them like one time or whatever. But the ones on the edges of the fields, I can check them every day if I wanted to because the farmers are running around, you know, it it, it doesn't bother them, I don't think. Other than they C, but I don't think it's going to kick them out of the whole square. If, they, if there's a bachelor group using a bean field and you ride by on your four-wheeler at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and it's 80 degrees out, it's not going to matter. You're still yeah. going to come out, you know. So. Yeah. Uh,
3: you said you took notes on, like, every buck for, mm-hmm. you know, years to come and everything. How often are you referencing that, uh, those notes during the season, like when you're planning where I'm going to go tonight?
1: Um well, I I, I still haven't – my, my head still works good enough that I, sit, I, I, remember, <laughs> okay. I remember most of it, you know, because I'm not – I'm after only a handful of different bucks that I want to shoot, you know, especially – we're talking mostly Ohio when it comes to that, okay. you know, because in Ohio is where I have a lot of the history with the deer. Like Pennsylvania, I, I, I don't go f- as hard as I do in Ohio. I don't put in that amount of time in, in, in cameras and cameras and data and all that, you know, because – now I'm hunting public and mostly they're big, vast places. And I know um, I'm hunting fit funnels and pinch points in on the public land in PA. So I pretty much know the good funnels and pinch points from scouting and from hunting over the years. And I'm always you know looking for new ones and stuff. But um, I, I I put my cameras out then you know on those types of places in say September, and I'll start putting them on like licking branches or if I have some mock scrapes up or on existing scrapes. But I like to find funnel areas and stuff like that. And keep track of you know everything, especially the does, you know, because if you know where the does are traveling, and you're a rut hunter like I am, mainly a rut, you know, I hunt a lot more in a rut than I do in say October, you know, just for the just because, I, you know, you get a couple weeks vacation or ten days or whatever it is, you want to be there when it's the best chance, you think you're going to see have more of a chance to see a deer. Now a lot of guys kill some nice deer in October. You know, but that's more, you know, getting in tight on bedding and stuff like that. Or you could catch them maybe right when they first start hitting those scrapes in like mid-October, right in the early 20s of October. Um, You can kill them that way. But, you know, um, I like to to see deer running around, you know what I mean, chasing (laughs) each other. So get the whole, you know, full full, uh, um, experience that way. So that's what I concentrate on the most.
3: So with, uh, in Ohio, you said that's where most of your notes are being taken. Mm-hmm. Do you take notes on every buck you're seeing? So when it, when a buck, you know, blows up to a, something you're interested in shooting, yeah. you have, you know, a year or two of data on it or? No, or that's a really we...
1: good question. And and how, how I do it is when I identify a buck that I, that I want to shoot or that I think I, I'm going to want to shoot potential. him, like say he's a three and a half year old. Okay. Then I will, I will definitely start right then and there, okay. but I will keep a picture. Uh, well, put it this way: say there's a 110 inch two year old running around on the farm I'm hunting in Ohio. I'm gonna save every single solitary picture of him, and and I'm gonna have it in a, a folder. File. Yeah, so that when he if he makes it to four or five or whatever. And I'll, that way I know, you so know, then and then, then I'll tracking. start, then I'll go back and I'll start oh, writing okay. everything down. And, you know, nowadays, you know, with the interweb, you can find out what the, <laughs> you know, what, what the weather was, you know, it, yeah. Could, yeah. Have, it could have been three years though. ago and yep, exactly. Okay. Weather underground, you know, and, you know, I, so you, you don't have to write it all down right there. You know, if, oh, if, if it's sense. a deer that was, that you've been watching for a few years, you what can you say wait.
3: drive you nuts to. T- every single buck to be writing. oh man yeah because
1: i'm I'm running a lot of cameras because i hunt a lot of properties you know so it's a lot to keep track of you know when you start talking 50 or 60 cameras you know and Mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of pictures a year you know you're not going to write it all so yeah
2: (laughs) so my question is like you see a lot of eight points like that it's just a Mm -hmm. standard Mm 8.16 inches wide how do you know that you got a picture of that buck at a two and a half year old how can you then identify okay that's this is him now at three and a half when they all look it's so similar
1: it is every time you can't you don't know for sure you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but you just look for you know a lot of times if the if the buck's living in a certain area and you're getting pictures of them on a regular in a certain spot you you can pretty much just conclude it's him and then as they get older when you want to shoot them you know because say that buck I don't know how that, but Say say it's a two-year-old buck in Ohio. Okay, now when he's three, I'm going to think, well, he's got kind of short brow tines. It looks like he has a a, a, four, a, a fifth point coming out on a tip, so he might be a nine-point next year. You know what I mean? So if I see a buck that, you know, looks like he's an age class, older, and he has that sort of frame, then you know I'm, I'm going to assume that's him. Now, once he's, you know, when you get into where they're four, and
2: they start three, and character. four, and five,
1: and, you know, in Ohio – the deer in the area I hunt have a lot of stickers and, you know, double brows and, you know, split G2s and stuff like that. So it makes it a little bit easier. They're not normally just clean, mm-hmm. you know, so you can.
0: They have some very know, identifying yeah, features. Yeah,
1: and so you can keep, keep track of them pretty good for the most part.
2: Yeah,
0: never an exact science. No.
2: Now, I know, obviously, you have a very good inventory of the whitetails you're hunting, how often do you go into a spot and see a shooter buck that you had no idea about? Uh, well, it happens every year because they come from other you know, they come mm-hmm. off other
1: farms and I think that I mean I, I don't I don't know for a fact, but I, my my theory is, you know, these bucks as they get older and they live on the outskirts, you know, say maybe they're a mile they're a quarry a mile away or 2 miles away they'll, they'll move into new areas because they're no longer getting the shit kicked out of them. (laughs) Right. You know, so now they can go and hold their own and and look for does. And I think that they've been through the farm before when they were younger, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, but now they're, they're going to start showing up more often because um, you know, it's even in Pennsylvania on some of the public land, I hunt, but especially over in Northeast Ohio, you know, a lot of the deer that I'm hunting don't live on the farms that I hunt, you know, they're, they're coming from other farms, you know, you're, you know, I wish I would have known this stuff when I was young, because when I was young, I would, I would walk around over there and I'd find this huge sign and I'd be like sitting over top of it and not realizing that the buck lives four miles away. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, but with trail cameras, you know, you, I've learned that they move way more than I've known. And I have one area over there that I, don't, I, I lost permission on two of the farms. But there was three farms within like a four-mile range. And I would get pictures of the big mature bucks on almost every one of them on all, on all three farms within a four-mile radius. Hmm. And with as much ag as there is and as thick as it is over there and with the amount of does there is over there, it just makes no sense that those deer move that far, but they just do. I don't, and then, you know, and I see it every year. You know? Yeah.
0: You'd think they'd have everything they need in this one mile radius. What are they doing four miles that way? They just want to breed, you know? Mm-hmm. And the
1: thing, what I think is a lot of times these doe groups come into heat at different times, you know, I mean like a real quick example and just bring me back to that because I was going to say something else about that, but quick example, like last year on October 3rd, I, well, before that in late September, I put, I found this great big scrape, um, in Ohio and I put a camera on it and i didn't check it until uh, way too late you know uh, but so but what i ended up finding out later was on october 3rd this 170 inch 10 point that i've been getting pictures of since 2017 was chasing a doe around that scrape he came into the scrape and he was on this dough and i mean like he kept coming but they were around it like almost all day for well, actually for two days they were mm-hmm. on this scrape you know he was on the scrape, and these does were in there, and they were bedding on this point right off this creek. So there was a beaver swamp on one side, and there was a creek on the other, and it was just a finger that came out through. Okay, and then there was a, um, like a beaver levee crossing right there, and that's where they were crossing back and forth. But he was on her like mad now fast-forward turkey season this year. Me and my buddies are over there turkey hunting, and we're walking through there, and it was like the first day of turkey season, and there's fawn tracks like this big in the Mm -hmm. mud right there in the exact same spot where that, where that location where that scrape was. Mm -hmm. So then when you go back and you count back 200 day gestation period or whatever, it's 201 or whatever, that, that that he probably bred that doe October 3rd. Now I'm not saying every doe gets bred October 3rd. It's not what I'm trying to say, but I have seen it in the past where these bucks will come on certain times in October and hang out in an area for two or three days, you know, and it only makes sense that this because a doe group came into heat, mm-hmm. you know, so I can't prove it. I don't know if there's any studies out there that, that show it, but I feel like, you know, um, if, if uh, there's, there's, there's does that are going to come in, say, October 20th, there's those that are gonna come in October 28th, there's those that are going to come in November 2nd, there's those mm-hmm. that are going to come in November 15th, you know. And I think that these bucks over time, these older bucks, learn that. They know where they've gotten lucky before, you know. Hey, I'm going to go to that yeah. bar. There's lots of <laughs> chicks. There and no guys, you know. That that's, that's the type of place, you know. So, yeah, um, I've been, I try to follow that. I try to put myself in those areas, at those time frames, especially if I see it for a couple years in a row,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And even if it's not the same buck, because a lot of times it might not be the exact same buck, but if you start seeing mature bucks always showing up on certain scrapes, there's got to be a reason. There's for a it. reason why, yeah. So, <laughs> at
2: least hey, that's what I think. But. Have you found a correlation as to like you gotta you find this scrape you know it opened up october thirty first um I've heard a lot of people say that the next year that scrape will open up within a day or two of october thirty first the following year
1: um i i definitely haven't really know i mean usually the scrapes open up way earlier, yeah. Now but um i mean it's a, it's a possibility i mean like when, when i mean it's not I, I can't say that that's exactly what i would found or whatever but uh you know with white deer there's no absolutes there's no every time it's the same thing or whatever i've seen so much crazy stuff happen with deer you know anything could be the case i mean there could be uh that situation where that happens but for the most part i think that a lot of those better scrapes that are closer to bedding they're in thicker cover and the better breeding scrapes or you want to call them or primary scrape or whatever people are calling them now you know um that's somewhere where it's basically like a licking brack situation so like those deer are you know maybe marking that up you know, all year long, you know, they're not pawing the ground for per se. But you know they're they're leaving their scent. It's like a communication mm-hmm. place because I think the best scrapes are somewhere where it's a high traffic area. Deer wise, you know. So you know you got does coming through, you got fawns coming through, you got young bucks coming through, you know. And that's why that that's why that spot's hot because for whatever reason they're they're conjugating and there's something with the, the, the terrain or the habitat or whatever that they're, they're coming there. And that's where your better scrapes are going to be because there's scrapes all over the place. Yeah. But you could sit on you could sit on certain scrapes for you know, two months straight, never see a buck that you want to shoot, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and then there's other scrapes that you could see three in one day, you know, so. Hmm.
3: So I wanted to talk about when you said you hunted, like there's a ton of farms you hunt in Ohio. Um, and with all the data you're taking, if you get like a buck that's, you know, say it's, you know, a once in a lifetime deer or whatever, or something you're really, really interested in, do you ever, um, hone in on just one deer and focus on him for a season? Like, it like, if you have, how do you go about doing that from, you know, now until November, whatever? Uh, yeah,
1: I have, in, in the, um, and it's worked a couple times, and it's not worked mostly. <laughs> but, um, you know, what, what all you can really do is you just keep track of them through. Um, now that, if it wasn't for trail cameras, I wouldn't even bother trying, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, because the places I hunt, like I said, they're real thick. The deer could bed wherever they want. They could be anywhere on the farm bedding. You know, I hear a lot of the stuff people talking about bedding is, you know, they make it sound like it's some sort of specific has to be this way. And I think people don't understand that they can bed whatever they feel like bedding. Yeah, they can lay know? down at any and, spot. And, and they have lots of bedding areas. They don't just bed in one spot. I mean, I can't, I've never found a buck that beds in one spot all the time. Now, maybe in Illinois or Iowa or somewhere where there's not a lot of habit to cover or whatever and it's a lot of ag. Maybe they just narrow it down to one spot, but where I hunt at, it ain't like that. They're, they're going to be bedding all over the place, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, I would just keep track of their trail camera pictures from year to year. I try to study, you know, where's the best place to be. I had one buck I shot in 2016 that I had been after for a few years. And the way I ended up killing him was, um, I had forgot about a camera, not forgot about it. Actually. I, I I thought it was stolen. (laughs) You know, I I had put out a bunch of cameras. This place was getting pounded by duck hunters, and I kind of was like, I had been watching this buck. I wanted to kill him, and I thought, man, I don't have a chance of killing this buck in daylight because these duck hunters won't never stop coming into this swamp. You know, so there's no chance he's going to walk in daylight. So I had I deployed a bunch of cameras just to try to learn about him, and I didn't hunt there really that year. It was in 2015 was the year I I didn't really hunt him that much. I uh, was in there a few times early early season, but you know, and actually could have had a, a shot him on the first day of archery, but he was just a little out of range. I don't shoot far. I don't like to shoot far, mm-hmm. you know. So he was too far. Most you know some of these guys they would have shot at me. It was like 40 yards. I can't. I, I just don't do that. Mm-hmm. But um, any anyhow uh, that buck when I, when I gathered all my cameras, I didn't really have any pictures of them on on the cameras that I gathered. I can't remember how many I put in there. It Might have been five or something. On the whole farm it was like 120 acre farm. I had one camera that I put down on a transition into swamp. And when I went in there to take the camera, since I hadn't been here since I put it up, which was in like September or whatever, I couldn't find a thing. I thought someone stole it, you know, because there's other people that hunt the farm too. I'm not, mm-hmm. the, it's not exclusive rights or nothing like that. So I was back there again, like during turkey season, and I'm walking around trying to get around on this bird. And I'm like, oh, this is my camera. So I, gra- I, I grabbed the camera and I was, you know, it's like, oh, it's Christmas morning. You know, I'm going to go home and look at this card it sat there all year long. You know, it's got everything on it. And I, when I go through the, the data on the camera, that buck in particular, um, uh, I, I called the buck super freak, which is stupid, but my kids called it, it, it doesn't really matter. He had, he had two drop tines on his left side. One of them ended up breaking off before I shot him. But, uh, um, he had walked that trail three times. In November, from like it was the 6th to the 12th, he daylighted three times on that trail with all the duck hunting pressure and everything. So I'm just like, hmm, you know, that we camped there for a week. <laughs> yeah. I, so, so, and just as luck would have it, there was like a feeder creek that ran down into this spot, which is this transition along a swamp, you know. So, you know, how a swamp will be like real wet, and then you'll get like that yellow grass, mm-hmm. and then you'll start getting like dogwood and high stem count saplings and stuff like that. And yeah. then it then it starts. Coming up into more like hardwood timber and stuff. Right on that is where I was, where the, the, the trail was actually. Right where just,
3: the hardwood starts? Just
1: down seeing? from it, yeah, just inside. And uh, so there was a patch of cover that was real thick from when they logged it out years before that, that was right behind that spot. So there was a finger creek that, wa- that went down into that swamp. So I could walk down that creek and never touch the ground basically to get to that stand. So I started hunting at November 4th. And the first day I hunted it, I had like a, I had two does come through, a doe and a fawn come through, and they bedded in that tiny little patch right behind me. It was like an acre, maybe, of thicket, and they bedded there. And then a nine point, like 130 inch nine, come down through, and he was ripping up a tree. And I grunting at him, and he walked over and he stood under me, and I had to just, you know, close my eyes and look at the <laughs> ground and pray that I wouldn't pick my bow up. And so I did. So I didn't shoot him, and I let him go. And so then um, on the seventh. I had that buck, the target buck come down. It wasn't that exact trail, but he came down through there at right first thing in the morning. And I tried to grunt him over. He, he didn't want nothing to do with it. He, he, he acted like he didn't even hear it, actually. He was on a mission. And he went down, but he walked past a particular tree. I noticed where he went into this thicket to go onto the next property. So then on the ninth, I hear something behind me. I went there every day from the 4th now, the ninth had been like the fifth day I hunted that stand because it was, I had a, luckily, I had a consistent wind. It was a northwest wind every day. And I could walk down in there nothing knew I was there. The ninth, I hear something. There's a doe behind me walking. I'm assuming it was the same doe I saw on the fourth. I had seen her a couple times that, in those five-day period. And she come up out of the swamp, and that buck was right on her tail, and he's following her. So I ended up grunting him up to me. And snort wheezing him up to me. And right when he was coming into my shooting lane, he was like 10 yards. And it had been raining that morning. And when I drew back that slide on your, on your like, Mm -hmm. uh, it it made like a little squeak. And he looked right up at me and he saw me and he took a couple bounds, but he walked over to that doe. She was laying there at the time and he like got her up and they walked off and they walked right past that same tree again. So Mm -hmm. then I went back there on the 14th and went in there with my lone wolf and, and set it up in that cherry tree. And ended up shooting that buck. And it was I had hundred and forty inch and hundred and thirty inch buck in there that same day chasing a doe around and and then him and I shot him. So That's wild. You know, yeah, it has worked out a few times. I've had I've shot a couple that I was actually trying to kill, you know. Mm-hmm. So was uh,
3: the first spot you had where you were hunting for five days. Was that a preset that you had sitting there, or were you carrying your stand in each time? That was
1: I, I pre I preset that stand because I planned on coming back to that. Okay, yeah. and you just mm-hmm. left it there, and then yep, and then I left it there, and then the day I ended up shooting him, I went in with my alpha and I climbed up in that tree. and And the funny thing is, this is the first buck that came through was like a one forty inch ten that I had known very well. And, uh, I, and I wanted to shoot him, you know. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't, I wasn't going to pass that deer up. And he walked right under the tree I was in for the first five days. It really? really? Yeah. And, and, and I tried to run him over. And he ended up, he was chasing the doe around. And he started to, and I think that's how I ended up killing his buck is because he was chasing the doe. I tried to call to him. I'm not big on calling, but if they're not coming to me, what do I got to lose on November mm-hmm. 14th, you know. Yeah. And uh, he was chasing the doe. I called to him. Um, he didn't care. Another buck, the, the, the eight point come walking down the transition, following a fawn. She went into the cattails and I heard this buck, the buck that I shot coming through the cattails. He was straight downwind to me, but I, it was a high pressure. I float milkweed all the time, you know, mm-hmm. and I seen it was, it was going straight up. You know, the water was probably warm enough that it was pulling that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when that doe, when that doe fawn went into that, went into them cattails, he exploded through there and started chasing her all through there. And he wound, they both wound up underneath my tree. I just, you know, luck would mm-hmm. have it. I shot
0: him, so. Interesting. So kind of to piggyback on that, you were talking before we hit record, um, like when you're going after a buck or not even a specific buck, you're hunting an area, you talked about like picking a specific spot inside your spot. And you kind of talk a little bit about certain areas that you like to go with, like switchbacks and cricks and stuff. But how do you go about picking that spot on a spot in your setups?
1: Well, what I do is I just look for the, the, the thicker stuff along with, like, I, that was a, um, a scouting video I had put on the YouTube channel that I, I used to put stuff on, but I don't do it anymore because I, you know, I'm not a techie, but, um, and, That area, when you look at it, it just all looks good because there's deer trails everywhere. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. legit deer trails going everywhere through there. And there's bedding all through there. But the thickest stuff right along the edge of the creek seems to be where... Them bucks will walk through, so they don't want to really expose themselves if they don't have to. Especially that—that that was a public land hunt in Pennsylvania, so mm-hmm. you know those deer know people. You know, they, yeah. So um, they're staying. You know, the mature bucks are going to stay in the thicker stuff, and that—that that was basically what I what, what I look for is you know if there's a bunch of uh, trails, don't pick. And I'm not—I shouldn't say don't pick it because anything can happen. But yeah. I try not to pick the trails that are in the more open stuff you know you could walk into it and like when i was you know 25 i might have been like oh that trail looks really good i mean i don't have to cut any shooting lanes well because and then and then i would have been like man i could have shot that buck if i would have been 15 yards that way you know what i mean yeah that that type of thing you know seems like they come through the thicker stuff Mm -hmm. so that's that's what i was getting at right there
3: so with um those heavy trails that you're finding like in really thick stuff Mm -hmm. have you found any trails that like um a bigger deer isn't going through because it's too thick or will they always kind of or not always you know like anything can work but there's on the one property we hunt up in uh like upstate new york mm-hmm. um the one pond property has some i mean serious i think it's like dogwood or something mm-hmm. and it's i look at it and be like there's no way a deer with a large rack could get through that but i mean there's deer tracks on it but
1: you make a good point, but the thing of it is, is they still seem to go through that thick stuff. I mean, okay. I've, I've actually shot a buck one time that come running down through a, a transition on a swamp, turning his head sideways as he was running, going through the trees. Okay. So, they'll figure a way to get through it if they want to. Okay. Yeah.
3: Because, I mean, Tom knows the piece I'm talking about. They're, I mean, when you're walking in, you we're, we, we stay on the edge of it when we're walking in, which mm-hmm. probably now talking to you probably isn't the best idea, but... Um, <laughs> It just looking into it, it's like to me, I'm like, there's no way like a mature deer could bust through that. But there, there's always big tracks on there. I just Well, never...
1: I mean, mature bucks hanging pretty thick stuff, so mm-hmm. uh, you know they'll they're gonna find a way through it. Now, I mean, maybe they're bedding right on the edge of it, and or maybe they're traveling the edge of it more than we know. You know, we can't always be there to find out because you know they can, they can't just lay lay just inside. You know like if you even like when you got a um say a clear cut or something um, a lot of times they'll bed right in the middle of the clear cut and a lot of times they'll bed right on the edge of the clear cut you know what i mean it, it just it's hard to say but I, i've seen some real thick nasty stuff and the mature bucks don't seem to have any problem getting through like the farms i hunt in ohio um over there I, it's not as bad here some places it is but that um model floor rows over
0: there no oh, yeah. i mean it's literally
1: like walls in some places mm-hmm. but they still go through it you know oh, really? yeah they okay. they'll just you know the does will, will make trails down through it and i think that's probably maybe that's the only time that the buck is going through there but you know he will go through that stuff he's not going to just walk around and avoid you know um thick cover so he can have an easier you know day at it or you know what i mean mm-hmm. unless he's going to just wait till it gets totally dark out and he
2: feels mm-hmm. like he has no threat or whatever but now, do you ever venture and hunt, you know, in the thicket rate in the bedding, or do you typically stay in the transition areas on uh, the edge of bedding? I would say I stay
1: more along a transition, but I, ha- I, I, I have hunted in thick bedding areas before, yeah, definitely.
3: What's caused you to stay more towards the transitions? It just seems
1: like that's what deer deer like edge. They're edge creatures, and it seems like that they travel the edge. You know, the more the more different types of habitat that come together seems to be the better, you know, say you got water, thicket, open woods, or you got apple trees, um, thicket, you know, creek, you know, whatever, something like that, or ag field.
3: The
2: you most know. diverse area. Yeah.
3: So going, going back to your spot within a spot then, so if you've got, say, three different transition, like like you said, apples, creek, thicket, like, so that's the spot, you know, that general area where they all come together. Now, where are you typically setting up within that Well, spot.
1: It, it depends on, you know, what what you have available, you know, put it for a tree stand and all that. But um, I like to hunt right by an apple tree because, um, especially in October, those bucks seem to get up out of them beds and, and come over to the apples. And there's a lot of times there's really good scrapes under there. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are like... Um, uh, what, um, staging areas, you know, you'd call it or whatever. So it, I, I do I do like to get in. If, if there's apple trees around, I'm, I'm going to hunt by the apple tree because that's like a secondary, like, food source. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like not the destination food source, but that's, you know, it's the first place they might go to right when they come out of the bed. They're probably going to be bedded close to it, you know, mm-hmm. and probably somewhere it might be, if, if it's thick enough, then you can get in there close and, you know, hopefully they're, they're there with a, with a, um, just, trying to hear what's coming sneaking up on them or smelling what's behind them whatever and they can't see you usually when it's you know a lot of the old apple orchards that I hunt it's you know it's from it's used to be a cow pasture at one time probably mm-hmm. 70 years ago That's or whatever exactly you know what I mean is,
2: I'm pretty
3: sure so yeah because the one piece that we hunt Frank's got a stand mm-hmm. it's, it is exactly it's an old uh, apple orchard and you can actually there's still some old fence posts you know and mm-hmm. most of them have rotted out completely but there's just a few of them um, and they like there's the one may I think it's like probably the oldest apple tree there. Um, it's almost always filled with scrapes, the 360 yeah. degrees. I've all seen the them all the bit. way around
1: them in a circle before, like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a hot spot. If you can get in there, and, and if, if you're hunting a spot like that, and you're not put it, put it this way, do you guys put cameras on that? Yeah, do you get pictures of mature bucks on that? Not really mature so, bucks.
3: So, I guess to give you a backstory on this piece, um, My grandpa had it back in the 80s, didn't really do anything with it. My dad had it, didn't really do anything with it. Um, When Tom and I got old enough to start driving up there, um, Frank joined us, and we would go up there and hunt. And my dad and my grandpa told us, you know, you're kind of wasting your time. The Amish have pretty much run it over. You know, they shoot everything that's on there.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, And over time, we've been getting rid of Amish people hunting on it, trespassers, and then... I feel your pain. uh, (laughs) Because
2: basically for 20 years, it was... Might, Essentially well state game public. land okay. because my, the owners, my grandpa, or later my dad, they never hunted it, and they knew the owners were from out of town, so yeah. it was free range but it, it, you know i i feel like
1: sometimes uh deer learn um through behavior you know over time like their mothers even when they're you know when they're from the time they're little or you know just to stay out of certain areas because of that and i'm not saying that's what happened but it, it, it could be yeah, that very happened. well could be you know and i also noticed that uh sometimes it, it, old cow pastures are great places to hunt because a lot of different grasses and stuff grow up in them a lot of times there's different you know you got hawthorn you got you know cherries. You got you got all kinds of stuff in there that they could eat. Apples and stuff like that. But um, I think it might take a little bit of time till the deer get used to being in there all the time. Because when there's a when there's a herd of cows in there all the time, you know the deer don't really want to be around that. You know the cows eat everything up and it gets kind of opened. And then after they're gone for a few, I think it, sometimes it might take a couple of years till those deer start using it. But it sounds like it's been a while since it, you had that, any it cattle. It makes in sense
0: there. that you say something you know along those lines because we would see a lot of. Not big deer, cause, just because of where big we're the, at, but big for the area. That, we'd mm-hmm. see some nice bucks in the summertime, but then as soon as archery rolled around, right after like the first two weeks of October, it seemed like that property just vacated. Hmm. And we wouldn't even hunt it that much because we're, you know, almost an hour away. We'd hunt it on the weekends or whatever, but it would just completely vacate. And we wouldn't see anything, but the, you know, we've been working on it for several years and slowly and slowly we've been holding deer longer and longer through the season. How much property do you
3: guys have there? 116 acres.
0: So you should be able to
1: hold at least one good buck in Mm -hmm. in there to keep her a core area, you know?
3: That's pretty much what we were starting to get to. So last year was the first year that we had multiple bucks staying on the property through December January um and Tom actually killed for the area a really nice buck mm-hmm. um really tall 9 mm-hmm. and then my dad killed a pretty good 8 in rifle season that was the first year we ever killed two decent bucks in mm-hmm. the same season that late into the year Yeah it
1: sounds like uh, you're answering your own question is that yeah. you know it, it was it was game on for everyone in the neighborhood <laughs> It took almost 10 and, years and really. yeah, and yeah and it takes a long time because I run into that in Ohio too you know, we get people. Oh, you know, I, I, I hate to say Amish because I know Amish people listen to podcasts too. They, you know, maybe in other states they don't trespass like mad, but in Pennsylvania they're everywhere. They yeah. you know, they shoot deer all year and they're always on your property. So, you know, it gets to be really frustrating. Frustrating, and I find the same thing in Northeast Ohio that we have to constantly go to their house. I mean, I've, I've, I've had to literally tell them that you can't walk on my property without me getting a picture of you. I mean, we have to put out tons of cameras, mm-hmm. just a lot of them are up in trees just so we're trying to find out who's walking around on the property, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, they well, you just, spend they just so much keep time coming and
3: money on producing a habitat or, you know, tracking these deer. You don't want, Somebody else is their intrusions to screw that up. Well, well, the
1: worst part of it is they all own their own hundred and something acres right next to it. So, like, stay over there. You know, I don't go on your land. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I yeah. mean? But yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's frustrating. But what, you know, we, we, we uh, just keep going at it, and you know, keep going over there and talking to them, and uh, knock on wood. The last two years, they haven't been around. Mm-hmm. So okay. at least if they did, you know, they're they're they're, you know, they're, they're yeah, again yeah, they're ninja style, <laughs> and you know, they're they're turning invisible and stuff. But yeah, they're they're yeah, they're, they're, they're they've been staying out of there. You just have to keep up with it because well, mm-hmm. you know,
2: well, the first it took two, us what four or five years to really get a handle on it yeah the mm. first two years
3: every single time we pulled up because we at the time we didn't have any cabin or anything up there so we drive every morning to go hunt there and then for the first two years every time I pulled up to that property I had to kick somebody off there was mm-hmm. somebody getting their boots on by the truck and i had been told every excuse of you know I'm so-and-so's nephew you know I, they're Todd's kid which is who I am mm-hmm. you know, it's <laughs> yeah like, uh-huh. it's like so it took a long time, and like I said, we're coming on ten years working with um, building habitat. Like with, we did a lot of hinge cuts, um,
2: planted thousands of trees. Yeah, and
1: here's the other thing to think about: if that apple tree has scraped around it in a circle like that, chances are that they were probably hunting right there. You know, they probably found that sign too. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. especially as, as Actually, is there, the are there told us are there apples? Time. Are there apples all over the place, oh, or yeah. is that oh, yeah. like yeah? yeah. Okay. There's like
3: the whole. I guess would it be the west side of the property like almost the whole length is apples mm-hmm. like probably yeah so it might have been
1: they were they were pounding the apple orchard for a long time and it just took a while for the deer to get out of there but you, you'd think you'd still be getting pictures of the of the buck that he shot and your grandpa shot did mm-hmm. did you guys have any pictures, pictures of that so deer in the there buck
2: tom killed last year he didn't show up on camera until november 9th mm-hmm. and i shot him on the 13th okay and then my dad's. We only had a couple
3: pictures mm-hmm. in September, um, and he shot them the opening weekend. In so December. it sounds like
1: they're coming off of the other farms mm-hmm. where they're their core a, it's a big area. Square, yeah, and
3: it's all ag around us. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like I don't think there's a lot of bucks that like that's the core area, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely used as a travel
1: piece well it it could be because of the old pressure and it could not be i mean like even the one farm i hunt in ohio it's 500 acres we have 250 acres on each side of the road and not a lot of bucks live on that farm Mm -hmm. you know you'll you'll have you know and then and what stinks is like you let one go for a few years and then it ends up disappearing you know what i mean so um, it's tough. I, I don't know why it would be because like over there, you got beans one year in one field, and corn in the other field. They're switching it year to year. They got everything they need. There's a, there, the, the guy makes hay, so there's clover and alfalfa. There's white oaks everywhere, swamp white oaks all over the creek bottoms. And there's red oaks on the one side of the road throughout the whole place. So there's everything a deer would ever want, but there's not usually a mature buck living right in there mm-hmm. you know he's on um and um you know the other he comes from other they come from other places most of the time they're not in there all year long for whatever reason I, I can't explain it and it's not from pressure from us that are hunting it now maybe it's from farming activities but i wouldn't think that that would matter they should be used to that by yeah, now over the, the years think. so you know I, I can't explain why it's just some areas they just want to be there and some areas they don't <laughs> I, hard to tell why
3: and I, i'm kind of feeling like you don't really look at that as a disadvantage that they're living there do you like it no, uh uh-uh. uh That's I guess the way you were talking about. It. it sounds like it's not really a disadvantage that they don't live there because you're, you only need them there the day you're
2: hunting them. Especially
1: really. because, like I said, I I I've always concentrated most of my time in the rut. Mm-hmm. So in the rut, I know they're going to come through there because we have a lot of does and we have the food and all that stuff. So the, that's what keeps the does there. That's why, I like, you know, like when it comes to trail cameras, you asked before. Like, I, well, most guys and friends of mine in the past that you know be like. Oh, doe, 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 you know, like, oh, big deal. They only care about the buck pictures. Mm -hmm. You got to care about your doe pictures. You got to keep track of where your doe coming from. What direction are they traveling? Where are they bedding at? You know, if you're going to hunt the rut, you want to know where the does are going to be. You want to know, that's why I like to find funnels that does move through and that they're bedding on one side or the other of the funnel. You know what I mean? So, you know, and a funnel doesn't have to be, you look at it and it looks like an hourglass from the air (laughs) or whatever. I mean, I'm talking, there's funnels inside of, you know, unbroken timber. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. All over, you got to, you just got to put your boots on the ground. And you got to find them. It could be a tree blew over, and they're walking around, and there happens to be some dead water on the other side of it, and it's forty yards wide. You know, that's a funnel to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like we funnels even, look like lots of different things,
3: like just little dips, like uh, S- on the edge of gullies. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of times we get on the two, two of the pieces we hunt. There's a big gully that runs through, and any little just swale that drops so they can kind of get out of, like, the line of sight. Line of sight, yeah. That seems to, like, funnel deer mm-hmm. pretty heavily.
0: Definitely. That mm-hmm. sounds like a good spot, too. You're the first person I've ever heard talk about does on trail cameras because I'm guilty of that, too. Yeah, I, I kind of look through them as fast yeah, as I can. Yeah, like, doe, 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 who cares? Well, but that's an interesting point you make. I've Like, we've it talked to sense. quite a few people about how they use trail cameras, and you're the first person to mention paying attention closely mm-hmm. to doe activity.
1: Yeah, because if you're watching the, uh, the doe pictures and and, and paying something. Now, I'm not writing down doe pictures like yeah. I am, you know, a buck that's five <laughs> yeah. and a half years old. But I am paying attention to what yeah. direction you're moving because, you know, does are more predictable than bucks, you know, especially in November. Like a mature buck, he might be on the farm you're hunting today, tomorrow, and then the next day he could be three miles away, you know. Yeah. Whereas those does, as long as nothing changed with the food, they're, they're going to be there, you know. So that's why, like... You know an order of importance you know uh, when it comes to hunting food know the food sources because even if when the bucks aren't worried about food the does are you know what i mean so like early in the season early october the bucks are putting on the feed bag they're gobbling up everything they can because they got to fatten up and get ready for the rut you know mm-hmm. what i mean and and for the winter time because they're going to get run down you know and, and then during Say uh, last latter part of October, they they they're not so much worried about you know f- feeding like they were earlier in October and September or August and you know July whatever you know they they might be off they're not really worried about the food source as much but the does are still always worried about the food source I mean yeah. that's that's their whole you know yeah all, all their brain do. isn't wired they want the to raise their fawns and 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 breed that's what they're there to do you know that's mm-hmm. their their job and the buck's job is to breed and and he has to go look for does to do that or you know mm-hmm. hang out where there's does at. so if you're hunting around does in a rut you should be hunting around bucks yeah
3: so, so i got another question per, uh, pertaining to does that um, a lot of the older people that i respect and listen to for advice with hunting um, believe that it's not a good idea to shoot does on the property early in the season um, what's your take on shooting does that during hunting i mean just shoot what are, what's your take on shooting does
1: i shoot does but i don't shoot them in in uh, october or november early november or mid-november or whatever it's going to be late season or whatever i don't i used to like when i was younger it was all about killing stuff you mm-hmm. know yeah. i had to kill deer because everybody was trying to kill deer and you know if you wanted to be a deer hunter you had to kill deer so you know i was hunting ohio new york and pa and i was trying to fill all my tags you know um, you know, back then, I would shoot the first buck I saw in Pennsylvania, the first buck I saw in New York, and then I'd try to shoot a big buck in Ohio. But I'd shoot does, like, I remember years where I'd have three or four does shot by the first week of October, you know, between <laughs> Pennsylvania and Ohio. Because Ohio, they always give you two, three, four tags, and we didn't give them to you, but, yeah. you know. So I used to do that, and then I started figuring out over time that... These does that I'm targeting, well, I wasn't really targeting them, but I was taking hunting them, yeah. and I was taking them, you know, on, I, and, and that's, uh, you know, and the, and the thing of it is, is I've killed a handful of nice bucks in early October. And since my children were born, I haven't really hunted October much because, you know, they play football and they, I got them into hunting. So I'm concentrating, They, they you know, they're fair weather. They don't want to be out in gun season so much. They don't mm. want to be out in the dead of the rut or whatever hunting, you know, in, in, in the cold. So um I take them in early October. So like the last say six, seven years, I haven't really gotten to hunt October that much between football and taking the kids hunting. Mm-hmm. But and then back when I used to hunt October a lot, when I was able to, um, I was shooting every freaking deer I saw, you know, legally. But I'm just saying, no, I mean, seriously, yeah, yeah, but, I but, but, you know, so I wasn't even taking the time to wait for a mature buck. I was setting up on a food source in a thicket, just like I do now, but I was shooting a doe she came out and, you know, who knows, there could have been a buck coming. There could have been a buck bedded within earshot of my bow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, um... Yeah, I I I just learned it. Just took a few years, and I learned. I just leave my does go. When I started figuring out that these does bed in the same spots a lot of times, and I could use that to my advantage, I quit shooting does in October. So that's a long answer to. <laughs> no, that's,
3: question, that's I I always wondered because like my grandpa won't shoot does at all. Mm-hmm. Like he believes that you know you you don't shoot does that's, that's... old school
1: pa hunt right there yeah. i mean mm-hmm. that 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 used well, to be and... what a lot of people said for years back in the day you know that i in fact i still have friends that you know they have big farms out by my house and they've never shot a doe on their property in fact one time we brought um a, a youth hunter to and this was like 20 years ago to their farm and for that when they first started that youth doe with a mm-hmm. gun mm-hmm. i mean this is like 20 years ago and we brought a girl my, my my buddy's daughter and she shot a doe and when the one brother found out about it he freaking lost his mind It's <laughs> one doe i mean there's probably a hundred of them in that square you yeah. know so yeah that's that that's how it used to be a lot of people didn't shoot does you So know?
3: you think it's i mean not you agree with shooting does, mm-hmm. but just, just pick just
2: the time. Later in
0: yeah,
1: season. Oh no, I shoot does, and I encourage my kids to shoot does. And, 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 and I will let them shoot a doe in early season because I just feel like when they're little, they need to experience the hunt. And, and, and mm-hmm. I don't make them hold out. I, you know, yeah. I, I tell them, we're going hunting, and if a deer comes in you're going to shoot it because that's what they want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we don't, I, you know, some guys, they, they, they're they tough on your kids, and they're just like, well, you know, you've got to shoot. Uh, you know, we're going to let him go today, bud. We'll wait for a bigger one. No, I just don't believe in that mm-hmm. when they're young. They can make those decisions when they get older. Yep. You know? Yeah, I My agree. dad
3: did the same thing for us. You know, our first bucks, I mean, I, Tom got, I think his was a three-point. Mine was a three-point. Like, we all shot little bucks mm-hmm. getting started, and it wasn't until – after we started hunting by ourselves that we started setting our own standards, Mm -hmm. you know, from that, like, which I, I, I appreciate the way my dad did that for us because I'd hate to, you know, I was so excited, you know, when I shot my first buck, I can't imagine being that excited. And then him saying like, nope, can't shoot that one. Yeah. Like it would just, it it could totally ruin your,
1: yeah. I wanted to keep them interested. And I find it, you know, it seems like with my children anyway, when, when they have success or when they see deer, they're interested to keep going, but the yeah. days when we sit and not see anything, then they're just like, are we, can we go, you know, Test I mean, the patience something like a that, bit. you know? And, 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 uh, so I got one of them that's really gung ho about it. And the other one that, you know, he's like, meh, but they both shot like six or seven. I think the one might've shot eight, but deer already each and they're 12 and 14. So, oh. you know, I started them off with the menard thing and, and got mm-hmm. them into it young. And I put a lot of time into that in October time frame because it's um, the best weather, and the deer are usually moving pretty good that time of year. You know, they're they're hitting food sources. I have a couple food plots on my property. Uh, I, me and my boys put in, and uh, we set up on those. And I don't hunt them; we, it's just for the kids. You know, so mm-hmm. that's that's you know why I'm hunting October. You know, with, that's what I'm doing in my October is is taking the kids out. Would you ever hunt a mature buck on a food plot? Have you had success doing that? Or? No, I mean I'm not. I mean I know people do it, but I just I mean, I only own 20 acres, so, you know, I, I did have a buck that I wanted to kill that was using that food plot through the summer a couple of years ago, and September 19th is they disappeared, and I, and I still remember to this day, and I never, never did get another picture of him or anything. He quit, he quit coming there, so, but, uh, you know, I have, uh, I hunted there in the late season one time, um, and it would have been, uh, like, January 1st, I believe it was. And I went in there with a doe tag trying to shoot a doe myself because the kids didn't want to go. And it was like literally like six degrees below zero that day. (laughs) And don't you know that when I had three or four does come in and I'm getting ready to shoot and this big massive eight point comes in and he starts chasing all the does around. And it was like January 1st. And the only deer that I had a shot at was that buck, and I had already killed my buck. So <laughs>
0: that's
1: the way it goes. Yeah, it was like a four-year-old. So yeah, it was, it was kind of depressing, but you know, it was good. To, it was a good experience, but mm-hmm. never did get a doe that day. Uh,
3: do you, have, you, have any of your kids showed an interest in hunting as hard as you do, and doing like all of the extra work to get bigger deer? Are they still uh, yeah just sticking to the early season stuff
1: not yet I mean when they were little I mean I, I used to carry them around to check cameras and and mm-hmm. all that stuff and both of them and it you know for years it was a pain because they were too small to walk through the thickets and <laughs> you know I had to carry them across creeks and all that and I might have gotten them maybe not it might have been a bad idea for me to do that kind of stuff but they still come with me to Ohio you know to check cameras in the summer but that's usually just Riding around on a four wheeler on the edges of bean fields, checking cards, and then they get to have mm-hmm. Dairy Queen and Taco Bell. So, you know, that's I think they're there for the Dairy Queen and the Taco Bell over Can't everything pass else. That up. Yeah. So
3: you gotta you gotta bait them somehow. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I remember when I was young, my uncle John would take us, and it was like ritual. If you hunted with my uncle John, you were getting McDonald's after. The,
2: so yeah, like, <laughs> that's 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 a good reason to go.
3: But um, before we wrap things up here, I did want to talk about. Um, just a little bit of the gear that you use throughout the year. Um, and is there any, you know, there's a ton of stuff out there. Yeah, but
0: Nick's a big gear nut. <laughs> I, I just, I
3: enjoy trying, I buy and sell like crazy. Like, uh-huh. Um, I was just curious if there's any, uh, gear that you use that you've been using for a long time that you feel really helps with your success.
1: Yeah. Well, number one is, uh, right now I use lone wolf custom gear stands. Um, uh I, I love them they're they're light you know quiet setup you know mm-hmm. solid as a rock you know so i've well been thought out too. this well thought, like thought out solid us on them very very uh um very very good stands and there's a lot of functionality to them you know what i mean so they were mm-hmm. they've just got all kinds of uh features that you know most most stands don't have but you know like the, the guy who started the company andre de he's this, I think he started in, in 1984. 84, or yeah, 84. 84, yeah. And, and when he started with those um, cast aluminum stands, like he revolutionized hunting, you know, because when I first started um, hunting, I was using a sweet climber. I never had heard of Lone Wolf. This was 86, and it was, you know. Is that similar to like the Baker's? Yeah, something like that. They had like metal that would the part that went around the tree and the platform like an and angle. the seat was wood, and yeah, it was like an angle. In fact, when I shot that first buck um, in, in Pennsylvania in '87, in my first buck on that, I think it was the first day of archery, I was sitting down when he came in, and when I shot him, I stood up and the seat fell straight down and banged. You know, <laughs> I mean because they, yeah, it was like it was just like not good. And then I went to um, like. Um, what, a lo- what are they called? Lock-ons. And I started, well, I, I, I started buying, like, you know, I was hunting all over. I was hunting New York, Ohio, PA. So I had like 20 of them, you know, <laughs> and I had them all over the place. And then they came out with the ones that had the rope on them. And then I was like, wow, I can carry these in. You know, back then you use pegs, you know, you didn't have really sticks. Mm-hmm. No one had, I mean, obviously Lone Wolf had that stuff, but I had never heard it, never seen it, you know? And oh, yeah, then in was- some sometime in the 90s, when I heard about Lone Wolf and I and I started using you know their stuff and ever since then I mean they're responsible for the death of millions of deer in this country probably <laughs> yeah oh, so that's yeah. a fact and uh, you know almost most I shouldn't say most but a big majority of the deer I've killed have been out of a Lone Wolf stand or now the Lone Wolf custom but last year I did I, I shot both of my deer I shot last year out of my old school climber you know the hand climber mm-hmm. that's like twenty years old you know I, in certain situations if I want I, I don't like heights. And so in certain situations if I want to go higher I feel more comfortable going higher in a climber for whatever reason Even I don't with know a just making climber, you still hmm I, I feel more comfortable using a climber to go higher so that's what I'll use if I'm gonna go in, uh, up a little bit higher um, but I, I like to hunt low I you know I used to go like 810 pegs high back in the day you know in the early 90s so that would get you 18 or 20 foot or whatever it was. And my brother, Brian is also a good archery hunter. Um, he would always, I'd go up to his stand. He'd shoot a buck and he'd say, Hey, uh, I shot a buck. Come help me. So I'd go there and I'd be like, where was he at? And he's like, Oh, my stands right there. And I'd look up and I'd be like, <laughs>
0: You can, like, grab seven feet bottom, off the literally
1: ground. literally grab the bottom of the stand every time because he was so scared of heights he would literally sit up there and hug the tree you, know, you <laughs> know what i mean but he always shot deer and he always shot nice bucks he shot some several nice bucks in ohio back in the you know 90s early 2000s whatever and he was hunting low and i started thinking man i don't gotta be that high up in a tree If brian and i asked him you know what are you doing how are you getting these deer you know he'd be like yeah there was six doe here and the buck come this way and you know I'm like, how did they know I see? You? He's like, I don't move.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, that's the best hmm, camouflage.
1: Yeah. Maybe if I don't move, it'd be a good thing. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't like um, I don't like going real high. I don't like to have to put tons of sticks up. I don't like to have to go up and down the tree. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I just use a couple sticks. Um, most of the time it's two or three is all I'm going, you know. But that's what I like about, you know, the lone wolf is they're, they're, they're light. You can get in and out. You know, you can walk long distances. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel like you're carrying anything. You know, so yeah,
0: they're so packable and small. Mm-hmm. You when you're like dipping through brush or whatever, it's not catching the stand there.
1: Now the older ones were kind of heavy, and, yeah. and 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 you know they kicked my butt a few times, more <laughs> than a few times. That's why another thing that I liked about the climber back then is it was lighter mm-hmm. than 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 carrying the sticks in the alpha, mm-hmm. but. um you know, with that, with the, the 1.0 is what I'm running right now. Mm-hmm. And with that stand, you know, I, 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 really barely know what's on there. And then the, the feature where it clicks in and you can use it kind of like the pat put your yeah, backpack frame, on. Yeah. I mean, that's what sold me when I seen that I was like, Oh, I got to have one of those. You yeah. Know? So I love it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I remember the first year that they were down at Harrisburg, uh, Frank and I headed down there and I remember, you know, I had seen some things on Instagram and stuff about their, them coming back with Lone Wolf custom gear and Frank and I were both kind of baffled by the price at first, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we got down there and we got our hands on one, you know, put our, like, actually held it, put it on our backs and stuff. And as we walked away, we both looked at each other like we're, we're buying we're it. Sold. Yeah, like it it's... all, like for us, all it took was actually getting our hands on it and seeing like all the, like they said, the features, the feather weight of it it was Mm -hmm. that's what sold us instantly
1: the main thing about them is they're rock solid and 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 -hmm. and here's the thing i would pay that price to have back the five or six deer that were 140 to (laughs) 170 in my life that i could have shot that were right there and when i shifted my weight made a noise Mm -hmm. you know because i had that happen i mean you know, everyone has stories of the ones that got away. I got a lot of stories of ones that got away. You know, so yeah. <laughs> you know, until I started using stuff that was solid. You know what I mean? So that um, makes all the difference. That, yeah, the, the the price. I mean, if you're gonna put, if you you know, put it this way, even you know, it wasn't always this way, but look at the price of fuel right now. If you're gonna drive, you know, somewhere and you know. Um, put all this money in the all this equipment. You you want to have equipment that's gonna not fail you. Yeah. Yeah. It has to function when you need it to you put
0: as much
3: time as you do into hunting, you know, and getting a a mature buck each year, Mm -hmm. like, is it worth, you know, saving a little bit of money and having to stand pop when it's crucial. Yeah. You know, when not you go to, to stand up and it creaks or something, I mean, so that, you're, that you're was... buying
1: cameras, you're buying cards, you're buying batteries, you're driving, mm-hmm. you know, you're buying camouflage, you're buying expensive bows and arrows and everything's expensive anymore. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. just three bra. I use the, the, um, the K twos, uh, uh, um, uh, what's, what's it called? Uh, a flick, uh, yeah, Afflictor K twos. And, uh, you know those things ain't cheap you know i mean Mm -hmm. like nothing is nothing is cheap anymore so you can't expect to get a stand for a hundred bucks and it's going to be solid yeah
0: exactly
3: i've been working in like the metal industry for a while Mm -hmm. and people think that they're you know trying to they're producing it for 150 bucks Mm -hmm. and jacking the price way up but like if you knew the price of aluminum and the price it costs to water jet something Mm -hmm. like they really aren't doing a horrible job on their pricing no but
0: and they're worth it for sure yeah no doubt
3: so, um, is there any uh, things you wanted to talk about tonight that we didn't get to? Or
1: uh, no, nothing in particular. I mean, uh, we covered sure a lot we... of stuff. Um, if you have any other questions you want, I mean, fire away. I, it, it's, it's fine with me.
3: <laughs> like that was a lot for me to take in. I and mean, like, mm-hmm. there's, you're at a higher level than I am for white telling. That's why Fair I enjoy t- that. I mean, it's a lot, and I'm old.
2: But I guess for me.
3: Um, you got way more experience, so, like, listening to the way you think about things is really interesting. So, it's, like, a lot for me to take in. I've got about all I can, okay. like, all the questions I've, I wanted to ask, Good. I got to, mm-hmm. and I, but it opens up, like, 50 more. you know like, you know, you say one thing that I, I asked a question, you answer it, and then it's like, oh, well, now I have three other things I well want to... one thing I
1: would say and I, I said this when I was on with Bo Martonic uh, not too long ago and 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 he said is there anything you want to add or whatever so I, I'll say this um I've tried to mentor a lot of younger guys over the years and, and and they've turned into really good hunters uh one thing I see that's a problem with hunting is the uh, trail cameras can be your best friend they could be your worst enemy <laughs> so just don't rely on trail cameras only to mm-hmm. hunt OK, you, you have to scout. You've got to read sign and use those pictures to put you in. the. You know, you, you have to put everything together, the piece of the puzzle. You, if you chase trail camera pictures, you're never going to kill the buck that you want to kill. Yeah,
0: you'll because, always be a day behind. <laughs> uh, because
1: I do know I know guys that they'll get out of their stand on November 2nd and check all their cameras at nine o'clock in the morning. And I mean, not saying that that can't be a tactic because I guess it could be. But it's not a tactic I want to use. You know, I want to be hunting when the deer are moving. You know, I've shot a lot of my deer between nine and like one or two, mm-hmm. you know, during a rut. So, you know, and, and the other thing is, unless you've got a cell camera sitting on, say, a scrape, and you know that that buck's going to walk to the next scrape 150 yards away, and you've got time to run over there and set a stand up or whatever, <laughs> what good is it going to do you knowing that that picture was taken this instant? You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, just a part of, it's just a part of a puzzle, you know. So, um, just I'd say to the younger guys that, you know, spend some time looking at the ground, you know, find big tracks, don't lie, you know, put the sign together and use the cameras with that to um, it's try like a to supplement kill
2: Supplement to book. it, but don't mm-hmm. yeah. put all your eggs in that basket. Exactly. That mm-hmm. does bring up one question I have. That's so. <laughs> <No problem. laughs> so so That's literally
3: how I felt all night. It's like, okay, so now. <laughs> so, when
2: you're spending time in the summer um, scouting, you know, on the edges of bedding areas and stuff, what are you doing to not educate the bucks that you're trying to go in there and hunt? Well, that's the thing is in
1: the summer, I don't scout on in, in like at bedding areas or anything like that. So unless, you... uh, unless I, like I, I should, I am kind of lied about that because I, t- I started hunting Allegheny National, well, I'm going to start hunting Allegheny National Forest because I've been intrigued by these guys that are shooting some really good bucks down the mountains. I don't know if you guys follow Steve Shirk. Oh, yeah. Service okay. guide service? Yes, yeah. And, and, and that guy is like a wealth of information and, and, and the bucks that they're pulling out of the mountains. You know, uh, back mm. in the day when I was a kid, you know, you went, like to,
0: White
1: you, you went to the uh, Allegheny National Forest to go to somebody's hunting camp and drink beer for the whole weekend <laughs> and then drive back to Crawford County and hunt the first day of buck because you didn't want to be down there because it was an army of orange and it was all spikes, you know. But nowadays, there's some huge bucks. So, yeah, I have been scouting... Um, you know, concentrating lately um, on Allegheny National Forest. So I have been scouted, but I don't know that I'm going to actually hunt there this year. That's the thing. So I, I'm just trying to learn it right now. I, I got started a little bit late, but I usually don't go into the... I try not to go into the woods in the summertime that much. You yeah. know, I, like I said, that's one of my strategy for cameras in the summer is... Less along invasive. The edge of, yeah, along the edge of fields. I might have a few cameras that I set during turkey season in a funnel or something, you know, but... that that, that's just to keep track of you know deer movement. but you're going to get inventory of bucks that's what you should be doing in the summertime is just using those pictures for inventory purposes and you're going to get that on beans and alfalfa and stuff like that you know then then you transition your cameras as you go so when whenever their velvet starts peeling those deer are going to move they're going to change those beans defoliate and they're going to start within the white oak start dropping and then they're going to start hitting scrapes. so you got to boom 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 move your cameras like that well that's what i do Mm-hmm. You know, and then try to stay stay with it like that. Keep keep track of them, but you should have your inventory for the deer that live on your farm or could be in the area that you hunt. Shouldn't say they live on your farm because a lot of times the bucks will bachelor group on a bean field, then they'll disperse. You know, mm-hmm. but they're still in the area. They're going to come back to that farm at some point, and if you've gotten data of them over the years, then you'll know when those days are. You know, so. Mm-hmm.
2: So when are you doing your scouting in the woods? Is that something you do I, while you're hunting in the fall or wait till late season?
1: Yes and yes, yeah. I I, 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 I scout a lot in late season once the season ends. Because like with me, I mean, it's my only hobby. So the season never ends. I'm just always doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. But I like to scout in the wintertime because that's when you can see the terrain features that funnels deer down through certain areas. You can follow big tracks back to beds and find where bedding areas are. You can see how a buck moves through a property, you know, like that. And you keep that in the back of your mind, but you don't just go off of that because then you have to, when the season's going, you have to also go and check and make sure that the sign's there, you mm-hmm. know, and make sure that, the, the, that, that it's a relevant place to be hunting. So, so I do scout in the, in the postseason, and then I leave summer, basically go to cameras, and then during the season, you know, I'll scout during the season as I go. A lot of guys, they only hunt during the season. They don't scout. Like they, yeah. they already know that. Oh, okay, I got my stand up. You know, I put, I saw, <laughs> you know, something here in the wintertime, So I put my stand here, and then they go and sit there. You know, and you have to move. You know, find the hot sign because that's where the deer are gonna be. So.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate you coming in. So yep, yeah, no I'm problem. Say, good you. time. Um, like you said, I'd like to talk to you more for sure. Um, just there's just so much I'd like to ask. Basically. Um, mm-hmm. So, hope you had enjoyable time
1: with yeah. us. no, it was good. <laughs> Actually, it works better. Like I said, it works better like this. I've done one before in person like that, and I can talk better because when I do, when I've done these on over the phone before, like I start talking about something, I totally forget what I was even talking about. Mm. Then they ask you another question, you weren't even ready for it, you know. So, and then you know, I feel like I leave things out. So this did work good. Mm. Three people asking me questions, I I, mm. I liked it a lot better. Probably the best one I've done, I think. You know, so no, we, appreciate we appreciate that. that. <laughs> no problem. Good questions.
3: So, I guess we'll leave it at that. Um, thanks again, mm-hmm. and uh, thank you guys for listening. And make sure you guys are all getting outside.